Good evening, friends. So as Pastor Daniel uh, introduced at the top of the service, right, we are gathered here tonight uh, in the last few days of the season of Lent to celebrate Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday. Um, and this is this, the, um, the time when we sort of remember and commemorate and celebrate and kind of reenact, reimagine uh, the night when Jesus gathered with his friends, his disciples in the upper room for that last supper, the last supper before he would be arrested and accused and tried and beaten and mocked and uh, sentenced and hung on a cross to die. That last supper when they would gather together. And in fact, so much went on that night that, that there's not one single one of the four gospels that can kind of encapsulate everything that happened that night. You know, for instance, if we look at the gospel uh, according to St. John, we see um, how Jesus washed his disciples' feet, right? He um, sort of took the, the place, the role, the did the work of a servant to show them that what real, what real greatness looks like, right? Real greatness doesn't mean lording it over others. It doesn't mean being served, but real greatness means to serve, to take that most humble place out of love for others. That's in John's gospel. John's gospel also tells us um, that this was the night in which Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. That commandment was that they should love each other as he loved them. In fact, um, it's from that aspect of this night, the new commandment that the word Maundy in the Maundy Thursday comes from, right? Because um, the Latin word for command is mandatum. Think about the English word mandate, right? A mandate is a command. And so uh, it was then, it was that night that he, the, the Maundy Thursday that he, mandatum, that he mandated, that he gave that command that they should love one another. And then when we look to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all give uh, similar but different accounts of what I would say is the other big feature of that night. And that is when Jesus at that last supper, at that Passover meal, gave them the gift of what we now call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. We more uh, often call it around here. And gave it to them as a, as a, a way, a visual representation, a visual sort of um, symbol or, or forecast or uh, however, whatever, however you want to, to say it, but a, a way of expressing to them what he was about to do for them, that he was once again about to be arrested and, and tried and accused and sentenced and hung on a cross and, and, die, and, and to die, not, not just for any reason, but, but for them so that his body would be for them and his blood would be for them. And that is the spirit in which it's that aspect of the, that holy night that we will uh, spend some time thinking about, reading about, praying about, um, um, experiencing tonight as we gather. And so the text that I would like for us to uh, look into in God's word tonight is uh, from the gospel according to St. Luke. And if you have your phone with the Treach app on it, uh, this, this scripture and a lot of other scriptures that I'm gonna be referencing are on there in the sermon notes. So if you wanted to follow along and you just wanted to pull that up, uh, you could. Um, so, but we're gonna be in Luke's gospel in the 22nd chapter. And um, I'm gonna begin with verse seven and then jump over to verse 14. 
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. This narrative, this um, telling of the Last Supper, it is um, it's rich and beautiful in its own right. And yet, uh, one of the, the things that I have come to appreciate about, um, about God's Word is that the more we know of it, the, the more we are familiar with every part of it, uh, the more the vitality, the more the, the truth that is there begins to come alive. And so uh, w- what we can see or what we can know from this passage is that it's just absolutely packed to the, to the ceiling with references to the Old Testament. You know, I, I often will be asked by, uh, by folks, hey, so what's the deal with the Old Testament, right? It's the Old Testament. We have a New Testament, right? It was the, it's the scripture of the Jewish people. We are Christians. Do we really need the Old Testament anymore? Do we really, can we really benefit from it? What does it, what does it do? What's the purpose? How do we relate to it? Does, how, how does it apply to us? Um, and that, that is a really great question. Uh, and my answer would be that to, to read the New Testament, and certainly you can come to encounter Jesus Christ and to know the love of God just from reading the New Testament. That is absolutely true. But I think, it's, I think if you were to only read the New Testament, it rather becomes like um, watching only the finale episode of a television show, for instance, right? Now, you may be able to learn a lot from watching just that one episode, right? You may be able to tell, um, you'll be able to see how things are resolving, that something, you know, some things, some storylines that were going on are being tied up. You'll be able to learn something, but it won't really make sense. And even if it does, the full weight of what all of it means um, just really can't have the same depth. For instance, just imagine um, a scene in which, uh, once again, this is the finale of a TV show. Maybe there's been one season, two seasons, 10 seasons, however many, right? The finale, uh, the, 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 the show opens and a woman hears a knock at the door and she goes over and she opens the door and she sees a man standing there, right? And there's silence. And they just look at each other. Slowly, we start to see tears come to her eyes. They're still not speaking, looking at each other. We begin to see that the, the person other standing there is a man, and, and we begin to see maybe his, his jaw quivers a little bit. And then after another moment, we see that 
that uh, she drops whatever it was she was holding her laundry or whatever it was, and she opens up her arms and she, and she throws her arms around him and he takes hold of her and they just hold each other. Now, what we can know from that is that this is a very meaningful event. These are people who know each other, who seem to love each other, that there is something going on, something has happened. There is a history behind that. There is meaning behind that, but we can't know what it is. We can see the, the results, but we don't see the drama. We don't see the, the beauty. We can't know about the way that they met and, and the way that they, they fell in love, about the, uh, the, the way that they, they um, all, the, all the good and beautiful times they had together, about the things they went through, the struggles they went through together, about the great tragedy that, that tore them apart, about the years they spent le leading separate lives. Uh, only, you know, never quite being able to let go of the memory of the thing that they had, of the pain that they experienced, of the new challenges, the new people, all of the new uh, things that sort of maybe happened in between the two ends of this story that made that moment of silence, that moment of connection, and then finally that embrace so meaningful. We, we lose all of that. And who would want to miss out on that? I think that's kind of what it's like uh, if we just read the New Testament. And so what I, what I, what I want to do is I just want to spend some time um, looking at the grand drama of the God, God's plan of redemption that's going to ultimately culminate in, in what Jesus is doing here at the table and then ultimately what that points to. Because there is a story behind this uh, night in which he is taking bread and taking wine and sharing it with his disciples. There's a great, grand, uh, grand drama behind it. And even just to hit a couple of the high points, I, I hope that we'll, that we'll see the, the beauty and depth of that. And so it, you know, it goes all the way back, uh, even before this, but we, can, we could begin, uh, right? This is the Passover meal that they're celebrating, the Passover. The Passover was uh, a commemoration of one of the great acts of salvation and redemption in the history of God's people. See, the, uh, God had chosen a people, the people of Israel, and those people had been taken into, had gone into, they'd gone into Egypt and they had become slaves. They were in bondage in Israel, right? In, in, in Egypt, right? And so uh, God hears their cries as they're being oppressed and sends Moses, one of their own, to bring them out. In order to do that, God sends a series of plagues, plagues upon, upon Egypt to judge the gods of Israel, or God, the gods of Egypt, uh, to judge the gods of Egypt. Uh, and, and then finally, uh, right, but the Egyptians will not let them go. And finally, there is one final plague that will ultimately result in their freedom. And so God, and so we read, and we look in the book of Exodus to the chapter 12, and we read this. We, um, we see that God gives Moses some instructions. He says, go and tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to the, their father's houses, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And then they shall take some blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on a fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Right? In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste because God's gonna set them free. Right? 
It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The, God shall, uh, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all generations. And this is that same feast that, they are, that they're celebrating. Right? In this moment when, when God moves in a powerful way to rescue the people and strangely, it seems strangely to us now that it is that to do this, there is, there's a lamb that must be slaughtered. There is blood that must be put on the doorpost. It seems so strange. And yet this is, this is what God is doing. And it's through this that God saves the people. They do, uh, right? They, they have that lamb. They've eaten that meal for strength. And then their sandals on their feet, their staff in their hand, they set out into freedom. They're released from bondage. God has saved the people and they begin to wander in the wilderness. And it's... it's uh, it begins another great drama in the history of God's people. Ultimately, God will, will, uh, will give them the law, give them a law to live by. We'll make a covenant with them. We'll say, I will be your God and you will be my people. And here is the covenant by which you shall live. And in the, cha- the 24th chapter of, of Exodus, we read that Moses has taken, uh, once again, the blood of a sacrifice. And he says, uh, then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it. This, these, uh, the law that they had people that were given, was given to the people, read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. They make a, a covenant with God. And once again, there's the blood. It seems so strange. Why the blood? Why the blood. And yet, as we continue to read the, through the Old Testament, we learn that um, the people don't keep God's law. In fact, I would say if there is one great theme to the Old Testament, it is the theme of failure and redemption, failure and redemption, failure and forgiveness, failure and forgiveness, a new chance, another new chance. And yet the, peop- and yet the people again and again break the law of the covenant that God has made with them over and over again. And yet God continues to reach out. God continues to send prophets. God continues to forgive, continues to work with, to be with, to be among the people, even through the the midst of, of great tragedies. It seems like the people just can't get it right on their own. It's almost as if it's impossible for them to to live by this law. And they come to see that there's going to have to be some other way. And the prophet Isaiah in the 53rd chapter talks about this servant, the servant of the Lord who will come, the servant of the Lord who will one day come. Someone who it says, surely he has borne, it says it in the past tense, it's sort of looking forward. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we are like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And isn't that sound like 
what the people of Israel go through and what is done, and not just them, but us as well. Like sheep who've gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. Right? The people couldn't, can't seem to stop wondering, stop leaving the path, stop falling again and again into sin, and so someone would have to bear it for them. And it would be by way of his blood, as though he were a sheep who was being slaughtered. And through him, we, we turn at last to the prophet Jeremiah. Because it's in this way, it's through this servant who would come that God would, in fact, make a new covenant with the people, right? Not like the covenant that they couldn't keep, that they, that they failed over and over again. Well, let's just listen to this. Let's hear the words of Jeremiah in this 31st chapter. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, right? The, the Passover, that covenant, you know, the one that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and say to his brother, know the Lord for they shall all already know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I love that the prophet Jeremiah uses this uh, language that though they broke their covenant, though I was their husband, because isn't that what this relationship is like? It's like a, uh, a great drama of, of a romance almost, and with all the tragedy that can come along with that. Again and again, reaching out, reaching out, forgiving, forgiving, but failure. And yet there's this promise on the horizon, promise that somehow mysteriously there's that blood again through the blood of one who would come, there would be this new covenant that would change everything. And there's so much more that could be said, but we begin to see that, that, that the things that are happening here at the Lord's Supper that are being, that Jesus is saying he's about to accomplish the very, in fact, the very next day, right? It has been in the, in the it has been coming for at least 1400 years for more. The great drama, the backstory of, uh, of uh, this relationship that has come to this place. And so as we look again at what Jesus uh, is saying, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I'll not eat it till it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God, right? It's, it's fulfilled. All these things that are being signified here, that are being remembered, all these this great history of the relationship between God and the people, it's all going to come to its, its, um, its height, its pinnacle right here in what's about to happen and what's going to happen tomorrow night and Good Friday and what's ultimately going to happen on 
Easter Sunday morning. It's all about to happen. All of this, is, the storylines are about to be tied up. And when he says, this is my body, which is given for you, we can remember the lamb, the lamb of the Passover, whose blood was put upon the doors of the children of Israel to say, we are God's people, that you have made a promise to us, that, that, we, that, that you will pass over us. And, and, wh and while you judge all the false gods of Israel, you will not judge us, though we too have sinned. And it'll be like the, the lamb, the way that this servant was like a lamb gone to the slaughter. And in fact, that's exactly what we'll see. We'll see that this, the, the blood, right? The, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then we can begin to say, you know, all of that strange blood, all of that blood over and over again that seems so strange and alien, we now see what it was pointing toward what it was hinting at, what it was preparing us for, is that yes, there, there would be blood that would ultimately take away our sin, but it wouldn't be the blood of sheep or goats. It would be the blood of Jesus Christ, Son of God. And he would pour out that blood for us. Because like the people of Israel, no matter how hard we try, it just seems that we keep straying from the path like lost sheep. It just seems that we keep um, wandering away, turning away from God, even though God is like our spouse. And so he's going to make a new covenant with us. And so what we see when we come to the table, the, the, the bread, right, the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us. What we see is, is that story in concrete form. It's like a visual poem. It's like a, like a drama showing to us what Christ has done for us, what Christ offers for us. Now, does that mean that it's just a symbol, that it's just um, kind of a, a teaching tool? I don't think so. Because what it is, is it's, it is a representation, not just of anything, but of the gospel. Of the good news that God took on human flesh for us and lived a life, perfect life for us and went and died a death that we deserved on a cross for our sake. And it's through faith in him, through, through trusting in that what he did for us, does something that we could never do. It's through that, through that gospel uh, that, that is signified in this, in this meal. And the Apostle Paul tells us the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So friends, when we come to this table, trusting in Christ, trusting in what he's done for us, we're receiving not just a symbol, but the power of God, the promises of God. And so let's come to this table trusting in that. But I, I want to I um, offer a word of caution. Now, let me say first that this table is for all people. And yet, if you're perfectly content with yourself just as you are, 
if you're perfectly content to live a life without the grace of God, if you're perfectly content to, um, to say, you know, I, I have everything I need with, from this world's, uh, from the things of this world. I don't need heavenly things. I don't need the grace of God. I don't need mercy. I don't need a savior. Then this table has nothing for you. But if you know that you need a savior, if you know that you have fallen short of the glory of God as we all do, if you know that what Christ did on the cross was for you and that Christ has borne your sins, carried your burdens that you couldn't carry, and you feel that, that brokenness within yourself, knowing you need healing, that the things of this world are just not enough, you need God, you want God, more of God in your life, then this table is for you. And so I encourage you when the time comes to hurry to the table, hurry to the table, because there's a beautiful thing waiting for you there. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes is waiting for you there, the promises of God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we remember tonight the grand drama of redemption that you are carrying out even now. The way that you have, have woven together so much of history, so many people and places, fears and dreams and hopes and pain and joy. And that all of that was, was culminated, was brought together, was sort of uh, was made new, was made real. when your son Jesus gave himself on the cross. God, we thank you for that great gift. We prepare to come to your table, trusting in your promises, trusting in your grace, trusting in your forgiveness, trusting in the, the love that you have for us as you give us yourself. We praise you, O oh God, and we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.